This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Lord, we are so grateful as we watch those slides. Thank you for uh, a rich history. Lord, we don't even pretend to say it's been without bumps, but you have been there every second of the way. You have always been faithful to us. And Lord, we bless you for the times that have been glorious and for the times that have been challenging in all of our lives over these years. And our hearts are just full of joy for what you have done. Lord, this church is your idea. It uh, was your plan. And you are fulfilling your purposes uh, through this church family. And so we just say thank you for that, Lord. And we commit ourselves afresh to you. And tonight as we hear some testimonies and look at the scripture, we pray that you would just... Uh, speak to us. We pray that you would remind us of faithfulness, and we pray at the same time you would enable us to look to the future full of hope, full of anticipation, and full of trust in you, for you are deserving and worthy of all of our trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, You can open your Bibles before we, I'm going to have a couple testimonies, but you can open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. That's where we're going to be tonight. And uh, before I jump into the text, in addition to the slideshow, and by the way, if you're a guest here, thank you for indulging uh, the church in a, in a six or seven minute slideshow. It's like watching some bunch of strangers' slides that mean like nothing to you. So, uh, well, it may mean something to you, but uh, thank you for, uh, for allowing us to kind of have a family moment there. That's a little bit of what tonight is, but hopefully it'll give you a flavor uh, of our family and more importantly, what the Lord has done in this church. So thank you for uh, being here if you're a guest and being here for what is a, uh, a unique, very unique service for us. So we want to have two people share who've been here since the beginning of the church. It's 10 years old, so we want to have someone who sort of grew up in the church share a testimony about what's it been like to be in this church for 10 years, and then we're going to have someone who was already an adult when they came, already a parent, and uh, for him to share his story about what the 10 years have been like for him. So first up, would you join me in welcoming Michaela Kim to share? You got your okay with your notes there? Well, good evening. Um, It's an honor to tell you today how you all have strengthened and encouraged me in my walk with the Lord. Um, He is my one rock, the only one in whom I can trust completely. However, one thing I've learned as I've grown up in this church is that he often chooses to demonstrate that trustworthiness and love through the people he places in my life. And he has demonstrated these things powerfully through all of you by showing me what it means to be a part of a community of believers that seeks to love the Lord by serving each other. When I was 10, my parents decided to move our whole family from El Paso to the Dallas area. At the time, we were the only family from Texas to move and join approximately 15 other families that had relocated from various parts of the country to start Grace Church Frisco. They'd heard about the church plant through Sovereign Grace, and by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, they picked up our lives uh, to serve a community that they had never seen with people they had never met. And what an adventure it has been. They were, and are, the primary examples of sacrificial, joyful service to the Lord in my life. Mom and Dad, thank you for listening to the Lord and bringing us here. You did not know what he had for us, but you obeyed with glad hearts. 
Still, even though God had great things in store for us, this move was very hard for me. I left a church full of dear friends, friends that I am still close with today. When I came here, I thought that I would never have the same level of closeness in my friendships again. Grace Church, I'm proud to say that you have proved my 10-year-old self wrong. (laughs) Not to say that it wasn't hard. I was an awkward child and a sinful one as well. And I found to my shock that no one was interested in serving me or planning their lives around my world. The Lord has changed me, or the Lord changed me and continues to change me as I began to realize that friendship had to be a two-way street. I really understood this in my sophomore year of high school when I joined the Servants Council. Now, the Servants Council was a leadership group within our G2 youth group. It was set up to serve and lead the middle schoolers and high schoolers under the direction of the G2 leaders, mostly Mr. Payne. We planned G2 events, sharpened each other during our 6 a.m., yep, 6 a.m. Saturday meetings, and most importantly, we reached out to the younger kids in friendship. Throughout these activities, I actually began to understand the command from Philippians to count others more important than myself. Normal activities for our group could be considered mundane. We arrived early, stacked lots of chairs, welcomed new kids, and then stayed late, often without notice or gratitude. Somewhere around the 2,000th stacked chair, I realized that my motivation to serve could not come from the promise of praise or reward, or even a good feeling that I had done something kind. I learned that serving had to come from a heart to plead the Lord's first. The Servants' Council was started by Mr. Payne. Now, he proofread this speech for me, but I didn't include this part, so he has no idea what I'm going to say. For those of you who are new, he has since voluntarily stepped down as a youth pastor to better serve our church in other areas, but I see his influence in the church even today. The theme verse for G2 is Psalm 145.4, one generation shall declare your works to another and declare your mighty acts. Mr. Payne, I thank the Lord that you and the other pastors have taken this commandment seriously. You have poured resources into the next generation to equip us in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. Thank you for your guidance, sorry, for your care and your care for a rambunctious, disorganized, and utterly clueless group of teenagers. Thank you for modeling the same quiet, behind-the-scenes service to the Lord that you taught us. You were right there with us as we stacked those chairs, and you not only came to the 6 a.m. meetings, you brought donuts and chocolate milk as well. The lessons and service to the Lord that you taught us has extended beyond your time at G2. I personally have found opportunities to please the Lord with silent, joyful service at home with my family uh, on campus as I reach out to my fellow students at the University of North Texas, on mission trips to Africa and Mexico, and as a counselor for other youth ministries outside and in this, inside this church, a, a job that I found is far tougher and far more rewarding than I ever thought it could be. One of these ministries was the Allies. By happy accident, I joined the leaders Stephen and Emily Shu and a group of college students in service to the same ministry that had so shaped me during my high school years. This group included Jason Cress, Marlene Fernandez, Jordan Shepard, Daniel Tatum, Bethany Payne, Ashley O'Leary, Brandon Johnson, and Karen Knapp. 
Each of these fellow Christians sharpened me in their own way and pointed me to the Lord as we stacked more chairs, reached out to more kids, and on one occasion blew up hundreds of balloons for a single meeting. It was a joy to get back to the ministry that had served me so powerfully, and it was particularly meaningful to do so with some of my dearest friends. Guys, thank you for roping me into your wonderful ministry. Though we're not currently functioning today, I remember that time fondly, and I still have the t-shirt. I have given you a very small part of my life in this church since we first started meeting October of 2005. I would like to say more and name even more of you, but they only gave me about four minutes to speak, and at the time I record this, I'm about at the seven-minute mark. (laughs) Though you are all imperfect and sinful, just like me, you have all been my main source of support and encouragement, apart from my family these past ten years. I have watched your lives as he has brought joy from brokenness and grief, redemption and hopelessness, and light from deep, dark places. Not only have I seen him provide for us corporately, as he has provided places for us to meet, as well as the lands and funds for our new building in Frisco Square, but he has also provided for me as his daughter every step of the way, as I know he has cared for each of you. I certainly didn't understand his plans when we packed up and left our dear friends in El Paso, but he knew it all, and he led me through it all with wisdom. Thank you for being part of my Christian faith and for encouraging me and each other in joyfulness. Happy 10th anniversary, Grace Church. Excellent. Great job, Michaela. And now uh, John Skaggs is going to share, who did not grow up in this church. He showed up as a grown-up, but uh, he has uh, been involved in, in numbers of ways um, in the life of the church. So he and his wife led our children's ministry uh, for a while. He um, has done our IT, our, done our websites, our, helped with our website over the years and helped all the uh, various leaders with uh, technical problems. Uh, he's been uh, wonderful there. He does our first guy to do our podcast and leads our podcast team. Uh, he now um, leads a community group as well. So over the years, John has done most uh, everything. And like Michaela, he's probably stacked a chair or two in his day as well. So here you go. Thanks, John. Thank you. Hello. Good evening. Those of us who are watching a cowboy game, I don't care how they're doing right now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so um, the Skaggs family, as you can see up there, we moved to Frisco and uh, this is what we looked like in uh, about 2005. And uh, this is really our second time in the Metroplex. In the early 90s, we moved from Dallas to Houston, and that's where we became part of a Sovereign Grace Church. You know what? We were hooked. We got there, and what we saw practiced, what we saw lived out in terms of the authenticity, not perfection, But uh, people who loved us, the first day we walked into the church, we were a little out of place, and the folks gave us a hug. Now, how many ushers here give people outright hugs the first time, right? So it was a really great experience. So after a few job moves, we ended up in Atlanta, and that's where we thought we would stay the rest of our lives. Along came the idea, and by the way, that's where we were in our second Sovereign Grace Church. Then along came the vision to be part of a church plant. And we looked it over and prayed about it and came, and that's really where 
We ended up moving in 2005, and we were part of those families just like the Kims uh, who uh, packed up and came. So it leads to the question, what does being part of Grace Church mean to my family? Well, in summary, let me share three words. One is the word family. See, my best friends are part or were part of this church. Some went to plant other churches. From my biological family, uh, my daughter Corey found deep relationships, and she grew in discipleship. My daughter Kristen grew to be a wonderful young lady, was baptized right there, and um, she lives for the audience of one. My son Casey had God convict him of his sin, and he became a Jesus follower. Luke has found friends and walks in a growing, vibrant relationship with Christ. With regard to my church family, this isn't a building. This isn't someplace we come. This isn't a club. This isn't a group. It is a family. A family that is part of us and that we are part. I'm doing all right. I haven't cried yet. Belonging is the second word. We fit in. We didn't always. In fact, after we started, there were some awkward points here and there. There still are. And let me tell you something. In our 10 years, I've been offended more than one time. <laughs> Keep in mind, we did give administrative leadership to children's ministry for three years. So, I'm sure, though, that at the same time that I've offended many, maybe in this very room, but we belong. And you know what that does? That keeps us here. That keeps us here even when we get our feelings hurt and we get our... With our you know, I have Michaela issue. (laughs) Even when we get our feelings hurt and our toes stepped on, she did much better than me. The final word that I'd like to use in the description is grace. Grace. When we started in 2005, I thought we knew something about grace, its meaning, the experience with it. I know more today about compassion and care for others than when we started a decade ago. The word grace... It's in our name, but it's also in our lives. In the decade that we've followed through here, we've seen life-changing decisions, decisions that could have been ruled by fear, they could have been ruled by shame, they could have been ruled by despair. But instead, those involved here in my local church have let the law of grace reign, and they gave him first place. Let me close with a verse that I've come to absolutely love, and it's from Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness 
and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. I love you. Good job, buddy. Thank you to both of you, uh, both of you for sharing, and, and more. Thank you for your investment, and to both of your families. Thank you for your investments uh, into uh, the life of this church. Uh, both of both the Skags and the Kims have had uh, significant impact in this church, and so we're thankful for you guys. Um, open to Joshua. I think I already asked you Joshua four, so you can open up your Bible, uh, open up your smartphone if you have an iPhone, or your dumb phone if you have an Android. Um, okay, okay, sensitive. Everybody getting a little sensitive on the 10th anniversary. Okay, uh, let's, uh, let me get set the context before we read in chapter 4. In chapter 3, here's what has happened. The people of God have crossed over uh, the, uh, they're crossing over the Jordan into the promised land. So the Lord is leading Joshua. This is after the 40 years in the desert wanderings. They've, uh, they're now, uh, crossed into, uh, the, uh, over the river. And the way it's worked is God has called them to the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And that when they touched the water, it would spread for them. It would actually stop. It was actually a flowing river and it would stop flowing. It would be stopped up, up ahead of them so that they could pass over on dry ground. It was a miracle to get them into the promised land. And it was the second, at least the second time, right? Because he had done that coming out of uh, Egypt as well. And so once they cross over, then he instructs them to do something else. It wasn't just a miracle of crossing, but let's read in chapter four. I'm going to read the first nine verses and then I'm going to skip to the end. Here's what happened. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark, of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come what do those stones mean to you then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan the waters of the Jordan were cut off So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. Now jump down to verse 19, verse 19, 419. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, 
When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God for ever. So it's a great account. I didn't read you the miracle account. That was chapter three, but it's a great account of God doing a miracle for his people and then calling them to remember the miracle by taking 12 stones, one for each tribe out of the river and then setting them up as a memorial on the other side, some kind of a stack of stones. They were obviously big. They had to carry them on their shoulders, it said. So then they set them up as a memorial Uh, to remember the miracle of what the Lord had done. Now, here's something interesting that Pete pointed out to me uh, week before last, uh, and I went and looked it up, and he was right, Uh, is that this happens seven times in the book of Joshua. There are seven times where God says, take stones and sort of place them together as a remembrance for what I did. So the book of Joshua, which uh, tells of taking the promised land that God had given to them is not just about the miracles of taking the promised land, but is about remembering what God had done as well. Why does he call them at various times to take stones and sort of pile them up or stack them and remember what he had done? Well, I think the reason is because these people are very much like us. It is quick to pa- we're quick to pass through something and then get on to the next thing. And they had battles to fight and lands to take and then places to set up uh, as they landed in the promised land, places to set up their homes, etc. So they had a lot in front of them. So it would be easy to say, oh, great, we got across the river and now let's move on to the next thing. And that's easy for all of us to do and to forget what the Lord has done. But they, the Lord does not want us to forget. And where we are as a church right now, I mean, honestly, we didn't think much about the 10th anniversary because, well, we did before today, but we didn't like months and months ago because we've been so focused on getting over to Frisco Square and what's next, pressing on to what the Lord has for us. And so we felt like this was a time just to pause a little bit and thank the Lord for what he's done. We just heard some testimonies. We just saw pictures to remind us of God's faithfulness because we don't want to forget. We never want to forget the gospel, and that's why we sing it every week. That's why we take the Lord's Supper and have baptism regularly. That's why we preach the gospel every week. That's why we talk about it in our small groups. We never want to forget the gospel, and we also never want to forget what the Lord has done in our lives individually and corporately. One commentator on uh, Joshua 4, Dale Ralph Davis, who is my favorite Old Testament commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, because he sounds like a NASCAR driver. So that's why I really like him. Dale Ralph Davis, he's a PhD brilliant guy. I shouldn't be saying that probably. But anyway, uh, this is what he wrote. We observe a certain assumption operating in Joshua chapter 4, namely, the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. The greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. Just as in a marriage, the real threat may not be infidelity, but simply a slow process of forgetting and a gradual failure to remember the preciousness of the other person. So Joshua says, you must remember what God has done, and these stones are to serve as visual aids to that end. I think it's a brilliant point 
the, the danger, the enemy of faith is forgetfulness. And we can all forget what the Lord has done. So they are to remember and they're to tell their children. They assume that the kids are going to say, hey, what's the pile of stones for, Dad? What's up, what's up with the pile of stones when they get older? Well, let me tell you about the pile of stones. God did something there. It's a vital, vital principle. And, and the Lord wants us to take stones in our lives to remember. Now, what's happening there is unique. No church right now is experiencing salvation history like the people in the Old Testament. This is a unique event. God is leading his people into their land, and it foreshadows the work of Christ um, in the cross and resurrection and him bringing us into rest into the promised land. So this is unique what we're reading. However, there is a principle for all of us that if we forget what the Lord has done for us, uh, we will have an anemic faith. We will be very aware of trials, very aware of problems, very fearful, very anxious, given to complaining. Um, We all can do this if we forget what the Lord has done and how he's been faithful to us in the past. So tonight, what I would like to do is I'd like to take a few minutes here and uh, I would just like to talk a little bit about uh, our history together as a church. I'd like to talk about some of our milestones, things that the Lord has done for us that have been a milestone in our church, something to remember and something that affects us, something where a value was um, placed within us or was rekindled or remembered in our congregation. So what I'd like to do is read that passage, which I just did, explain it to you a little bit, and then we're not going to pile stones up, but kind of do what they did and talk about what the Lord has done for us. So here's 10 milestones in 10 years. I don't know that they're all in chronological order or anything like that, but here's 10 that they're close, but here's 10 things the Lord has done. Number one, God in our history uprooted people to move and plant Grace Church. They were uprooted and trans, you know, transformed over here, uh, and then they, God planted them to, uh, to begin this church. We just heard from representatives from two families who picked up and moved from different places to come and start this church. That is an unusual event. It is, I, I think about that, and it's not, I came It's no big deal at all. Pastors pick up and move to go start another church, and that's their job. They go to the new place, and they're doing what they did before, you know, just in a a new environment. So for a pastor to pick up and move uh, and go plant a church, you know, okay, polite golf clap, nice. But when someone picks up and moves, and it's not for sort of their their full-time job, like mine would be, but it is rather because they have a vision to come and be part of planting a church. We had people, we had eight families. I was in San Diego, my wife, my family, we were in San Diego where I was leading a church there. And we had eight uh, uh, families and a single lady who moved from San Diego. And then we had some families from other places, like we just heard from Atlanta and El Paso, that moved to help us start the church here. So people left their families People left their jobs. People left familiar, familiar environments. I mean, all those places are great, but people left San Diego. Have you been there? 
Um, have you been there? That was the biggest question I get. Why, why'd you leave? Why, why did you leave there? But uh, this is a great place. Um, because they felt the Lord's leading to come and help start a new work. And I'm really challenged by that kind of sacrifice that people made, coming to a, an unfamiliar place to volunteer their time and to invest, to find new work, to find new houses, to find new uh, new friends and a new church to really take a chance. I mean, the statistics of church plants that don't make it are pretty scary. So here's people that were uprooting and going, hey, well, what if it doesn't work out? You know, what if the church doesn't make it? Oops, uh, that's pretty, that's, uh, that'd be pretty significant. But they came in faith, and I am deeply grateful to every one of them. And people joined us here in Dallas as well who had heard about the plant and just wanted to jump in. So really, that was a milestone that set the value for us, I think, of spirit-led mission. We want to be a people that are listening to the Spirit's prompting and are going and are doing and are serving and are giving and are evangelizing and are working and doing whatever He's prompting us to do. Um, so I'm deeply grateful to each of those families uh, who came and singles as well who came. So that's one. Our church was started with people uprooting to move and plant this church. Number two, God supplied for us in surprising ways. God supplied for our church plant in surprising ways. Now, we are a part of, uh, and I'll explain this in a second, uh, well, no, I'm going to explain it right now. What you see in those pictures is a collage of, uh, of our equipment, hold your applause, uh, that we had when the church was first planted. So there's a picture of someone setting up curtains. We didn't have walls. We set up curtains to make faux classrooms. Uh, uh, pictures of crates that were loaded into a trailer. Uh, a fine young man who I couldn't identify. Maybe, you, I, I'm sorry if you're in the room, sir. Uh, yeah, well, he'd be 10, 10 years older than that right now. Uh, and then someone pushing a cart and then a trailer which carries the cart. So what happened is when we came here, we had money to start the church. We're part of an association, a family of churches uh, called Sovereign Grace, and they had granted us money that people had given from other churches cooperatively to plant churches. So we had money to get started, but we didn't have money to sort of get everything Thing we uh, needed supply rise to be pop, uh, to be portable, and there was an organization called the Portable Church. Uh, some people called it Church in the Box. And what you do is you go through their long menu laundry list, and you pick all the stuff you need supplies for your church. They get it at the best prices possible. They build crates to put it all in and organize it with charts. It's an engineer's dream with charts that show you where everything go. They put all the equipment. We're talking about sound equipment. I'm talking about communion. Thing. I'm talking about rocking chairs for the nursery, balls for the kids to play with, everything, microphones, pulpit, everything. Everything, they put it all together, they drive it to you in a trailer, and it's, then they train you how to use it on. It's ready to go. So we didn't have the money to do that deal, which made it super efficient. And here's what happened. Two people that I do not know to this day, I know what city they live in, but they live in another city. They heard that we had a need for this, and two people anonymously gave $47,000 for us to make about a $50,000 or so purchase of equipment to start the church. Two people, uh, I think one maybe gave 20, one gave 27. I don't know that they've ever been to our church. Um, they wanted to remain unknown. I had to send a, like a thank you note to like a secret person that would pass it off to them. It was super, super anonymous. And, uh, and that, that set a tone of God, you are providing. And it set a tone of generosity because a few years later we received a land donation. 
which is unbelievable. A land donation worth maybe 900000 a million. I don't know what the most recent numbers on that are. Uh, we've had significant um, things that we weren't even looking for. At one point, uh, a person in our church came up to me uh, a number of years ago and said, hey, I've observed the pastors. This guy was gracious, but he said, uh, I think you guys need some help. Uh, do you guys need administrative help? And uh, I said, yes, we need administrative help. So maybe he's going to like volunteer two hours a week to help us. I don't know. And this is what he said. If you can find an administrator, I will donate a year's salary. I'll pay for the guy to come and, and help, help you guys. And then after that, you know, you kind of kind of on your own. I mean, the idea was, I guess, if we're organized, maybe that would be great. So, um, and we needed to build a building. So we needed an administrator, we needed a guy to build a building. So that was the money. We went through a process, went through hiring pro- interviews, the whole deal. Said, who can build us a building and who can organize? And we ultimately selected Tim through that process. And that's how we hired Tim. And then after the first year, we thought, well, at the second year, he's building the building for us. So maybe we can raise money through the building fund to pay him to build the building. And uh, that's never been necessary. It's just been people's generous because it wasn't just that equipment gift. It wasn't a land donation. It wasn't a salary donation. It's people week in and week out being faithful to be generous that has allowed us to do the things God's called us to do. So generosity was woven into this church from day one by God providing in surprising ways. Number three, God launched our Sunday morning services October 2nd, 2005. So October 2nd, 2005, we began to meet in Fisher Auditorium. And uh, I think this was back, you know, nobody had phones with, uh, nobody had Facebook, nobody had phones with cameras in them, I don't think, back in 2005 much. So we had trouble getting pictures. This isn't the first Sunday, but we do have a picture of what it looked like to worship at Fisher. And now we have digital pictures, and uh, I don't know how far this was into it, but this is what it looked like. Um, And uh, so now... At the 20th anniversary, we'll have a lot more pictures because they're digital. And, they're, and uh, So if you've got good pictures, always send them into the office. We're saving them for 10 years from now. Uh, and uh, so anyway, we began to meet at Fisher Elementary in October on Sunday mornings. Uh, the first group of people moved here in January 2005. And uh, we met at the Westin for a while. We did some pre-launch meetings, and then we did some Sunday night meetings. Not because we were, like, all uppity and stuff, so let's go to the Westin. Uh, not at all. We were a bit ragtag. But that, that was the best, best place, price-wise, for us to meet in, in Frisco. And uh, so we were there for a while because we couldn't get into a school. You had to have a certain size of a group before the Frisco School District would rent to you. So it took us till October, and we were able to get to the size that was necessary, and we rented school space for them. And it was a great experience. As you saw, we set up and uh, took everything down. We had children's ministry in a hallway early on and then in a gym. And uh, it was thrilling days where God was adding people to us and where we were really learning the kind of things that are just so valuable to us now. Things like our corporate singing and the practice of spiritual gifts and expositional preaching, prayer, fellowship. All that happens here now was really built foundationally in those days. And it doesn't look much different. We're not super creative. We're not like super, uh, you know, crazy. We're still doing the same stuff that we did then. We're singing to the Lord. We're opening the scripture and proclaiming the gospel. We're giving people an opportunity to respond and to pray for them. And then we're loving each other and sharing our lives in the hallway afterwards. So those, it really began, those values came uh, for us as an experience back in uh, October of 2005. We received our first member God called, I'm going to say it this way, God called our first members uh, in February 2006. Um, 
So hold on this slide. Uh, too late. Uh, sorry, that was my bad timing. Uh, here's what happened was we kind of talked through some in- members material and then we invited uh, folks who wanted to join the church. Some had moved here and thought they were members. Like I moved across the country. I'm not a member. Not yet. So uh, they were like, oh, wow. What if, what if we got denied? That'd be kind of a problem, but we don't deny. We're not denying people. But uh, so that's what we did. And, and we received that first group on 2006 that had some folks locally that were joining in because people were jumping into the church. So we actually found a directory from 2006 and we went through the directory and we saw who was here in 2006 uh, that's still here. And these are the names we came up with. So if your name's here, can you stand up? If your family name is up there, can you stand up and uh, can we thank the Lord? And if you know you were here and it's not up there, it was a typo in the directory and somehow you know that, February 2006, you can stand too. So let's thank the Lord for these people who are still with us these years later. Thank you, guys. So some of our first members are still here. And in in some ways, you know, everybody's, it's easy to be romantic and nostalgic about the good old days. Uh, You know, I'm sure there's problem people up there, and I'm one of them, I'm sure. But it, it just seemed like a glorious time. It was... Uh, the Lord was really good to us. And John said, I'm sure we offended each other. I'm sure we did. We all did things. But, uh, but it was a really good season. And people were fully in, devoted to community, devoted to small groups. Everyone was serving multiple things on Sunday morning to pull it off. And it was really a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, I don't know that we've ever had a higher percentage of participation in Sunday morning service and small groups. But... Uh, I think the Lord's calling us to that kind of season again as we move over to the square where everybody's all in and everybody is finding their, their spot and making their difference faithfully. Um, because why this is powerful is you can see, look at that slideshow, you can see years later what dividends that paid off before the Lord. So just, I say dividends, how we invest, the Lord works in us, works through us, and it makes a difference in people's lives for the long term. And uh, so anyway, I think we're coming to a season like that again. But we, that was February 2006. We called our first members. Uh, we could not remember the date, so maybe someone knows it. But God also, a couple years in, made possible our first baptism. And we did have a picture of that. And here's something neat. You can put that up. Here's something neat. It was in the slideshow. Is that I know all these people. Uh, one of My daughter is one of them. But I know all these people that were baptized. And here's something that's really cool. They're all walking with the Lord. They're all walking with the Lord. Now, why is that a shocker? Because there are plenty of people that are baptized that eight years later or whatever it is, they're maybe not walking with the Lord. That's a grievous, sad thing that happens. But at the first baptism of the church, everyone who was baptized um, knew the Lord, knows the Lord, and is walking with the Lord. I just looked at that, I looked at that picture and said, that is something to thank the Lord for. Why are any of us walking with the Lord eight years later? Because of the grace of God and the faithfulness of God. So that really was a value for us of conversion. We've had some great baptisms in this building. And the, the, when we go to the new building, we'll have a built-in baptistry, kind of like they have one here. Um, the, the church here has baptistry, but we'll have a built-in baptistry there. But there'll be something sad about the little blow, uh, missing the little blue kiddie pool. We've almost lost people, a couple of taller people we've almost lost uh, in that thing. Uh, for the first baptism we ever did at this church, not this one. This was in uh, the Schaefer's backyard at their pool. Um, 
But the first one we did in this building, we filled up the the uh, little kiddie pool and it overflowed. We overflowed it and it flooded. We had just moved into this building and it flooded it and we had to have all the, you know, the walls, bottom part of the walls all ripped out and all that kind of stuff and redone. But it's kind of like if you move into a new house, it, you got to go ahead and just spill some coffee, get it over with, but have your first spill. And so you're, you're over with it. So that was, it was, n- nobody got upset about it. It was fine. We had a little, little experience. But we've seen people meet the Lord through, uh, the, through the bridge, through other ways, people who have come here, uh, through kids, through the next generation being baptized, which is thrilling. So God, that was our first baptism that I think really had an impact on us, and we've done them ever since. We're, we're due for one now. We haven't done one in a while. So, uh, Number six, uh, God led us. I think this is a significant one. By the way, these 10 things... Um, we talked, we spent a long time as pastors and reviewed, and then we asked some of you guys as well, what do you remember that were milestones? And I think God led us to serve the seniors at Rambling Oaks. I think that was significant for us as a church. Rambling Oaks is an assisted care living uh, uh, pl- uh, place, and here's some of the residents uh, that we've connected with, um, that it's on Legacy, very nearby. And this is probably in 2009. I went back and looked because I remember preaching a message that had to do with this. And so I think it was 2009, I think. Um, but we began to go over there and we've had people lead worship services uh, for now five years, maybe six years. I can't know exactly, but at least half of our church life, when we're here gathered on Sunday morning, there are people there from our church serving, preaching the gospel, singing, loving, uh, someone today, I, I went up to someone today and said, hey, I didn't see you. Were you at the picnic today? This person was serving at Rambling Oaks, caring for the elderly while we were uh, out riding tricycles uh, and stuff. So eating in and out and riding tricycles. But So it's just been a place to serve. But here's what happened. At exactly the same, I remember this well because it tied with the message. At the same time the Lord led us uh, to Rambling Oaks, uh, at the same time, he opened a door for us to connect with a ministry called Every Orphan's Hope. And I was preaching through James, and we got to James 1, uh, where it says that tr- what true religion is, which is to care for widows and to care for orphans. And so I remember when we had that text, we talked about it on a Sunday morning. We had Every Orphan's Hope share, uh, Gary Schneider from Every, Every uh, Orphan's Hope. And then we, had, we shared about Rambling Oaks and what we were doing there. And I feel like at that point, God birthed something that I think is just beginning in our church, not, not just beginning, but is being developed. And that is mercy ministry. I think God did that by giving us an opportunity to serve there. And then we've served in other ways. With um, We've done Orphan Sunday annually. Uh, we're doing it again this year. Uh, we've participated just this, this weekend in Clothe the Child. We've done that a number of years. We've participated a number of years with Life Talk, which is a crisis pregnancy center, uh, rescuing babies and providing for uh, moms who find themselves in a difficult uh, circumstance. And we're investigating right now other partnerships where we can continue to participate in mercy ministry. But I think it was really the introduction to these dear saints, these dear folks, and serving with them. At the same time, the orphan care ministry, kind of some ideas came there where the Lord has put that. He came looking for us. We didn't come. They came. You know, the Lord came looking for us with that. So I think that's a value. That was a milestone for us. Another milestone was God provided a home base for us we first got the building in June 2009, though we didn't move in until 2010, and that's this building, the John Elliott building. The Lord, we moved into this building. It's not ours anymore, but it was. I think we bought it in 2009-ish. 
uh, t- June 2009-ish. And at the same time, we were given the land at Frisco Square. So we got a home base and a future home base at the same time. That's it. We used to have a blue roof, the church with the blue roof. Um, that's what it used to look like before maybe hail damage or something. And now we have a different color roof. Um, so, But what that changed for us, because we went from meeting in a school where we, everything was set up and take down to where we could do things. And I think moving here, that represented the value of stewardship because now we had a tool we could use. So it allowed us to do G2, which our youth ministry, man-to-man, men's ministry, flourish, women's ministry. We've hosted conferences here. We've done Bridge, we've done, which is an evangelistic ministry. We've done uh, VBS the past couple of years. And it also allowed us to use the tool to partner with other ministries because when we owned this building, we shared it with others. So we had Every Orphan's Hope was here with us in this office doing orphan care ministry in Zambia primarily. Uh, Grace Covenant Academy was with us uh, doing Christian education, as is uh, Hope, uh, both doing Christian education here. We had a Russian church that we had meet here on Sunday afternoons. Um, And so we've been able to use this building as a tool, and we hope to be able to do that in Frisco Square as well, to take what the Lord's given us, and how can we use that to serve other people. You can't, you don't have anything to use when you're setting up and taking down an elementary school every Sunday. And the other thing is this facility helped pay for the new one because prices, I don't know if you knew this, but prices have gone up a lot in Frisco. And so as prices went up, uh, we tried to do a fair deal with the church that bought this, but fair when we bought it and fair when we sold it were two very different numbers. And so that allowed us to have equity to build the new building. But God has really taught us, I think, stewardship by using what he gives us, uh, and we want to use the new building very well for his glory. Number eight, the Lord opened doors for international mission. And so in 2011, we took our first two mission trips. And so really, when you think about your first two mission trips, as a, we're still kind of in church plant mode there. You know, probably you should find some needy folks I don't know, like in Dallas or something. And so our first trip was to Namibia, which we didn't, most of us had to look at a map. We didn't, our globe, we didn't even know where that was. Uh, so to Namibia and to Haiti. So our first year we did anything. We just swung for the fences. The Lord opened doors. The Lord gave us relationships. And we went there. This is a picture, I believe, from Namibia. Well, I know it's from Namibia, where we took young people there and they built a retaining wall. Uh, in a needy area with tires. And so that's, that meant did a lot of things. But that's one, they worked with orphans, and that's one of the things they did, represented the, the labor of those kids. And since that time, we've, we've been to uh, Juarez, uh, Mexico. We've been to Haiti again. We've been to Zambia. We've done trips in the States as well. We've, been, we've done a trip to Midland. We've done two trips to El Paso. Uh, we've done a trip to, uh, in, in Mexico to Rancho 3M Orphanage. We've done a trip to Round Rock, Texas. We've done a trip to Detroit. There's probably others I'm forgetting. But the Lord opened a door in 2011 where we said, what can we do? Not just sending a check and praying a prayer. That's great to pray and send money and resources. But let's send people that we can do something practical and then we get a vision for the world as well. And we're already talking about something next year for the youth uh, for a mission trip. So we want to continue to do that. We also have been able to support the Hare family, whose picture was in the slideshow, who were with us for a little while, and then ultimately uh, were in training and are doing Bible translation in Cameroon, translating the Bible for people who do not have a Bible in their language. And we've partnered with Sovereign Grace in planting churches and equipping across the globe. So that's been a value for us, World Missions. Number nine, two more. Number nine, Uh, In 2013, God renewed our calling to Sovereign Grace churches, uh, renewed our calling to the partnership that had sent us. 
this was a, something of a challenging season for us in 2013, 2012, 13, 2014. Uh, here's a couple of pictures. This is at Baylor University, the number two team in the nation, by the way. Just, that was just voted today. Not that I'm a fan, but if I was, I would tell you they're the number two team in the nation. But this is, we did a conference with family, with all the churches, the churches in our region there early on, we called it Fusion. So this is this family of churches, Sovereign Grace. We got together with, I don't know how many we had at that time, five churches maybe. We got together and we met down at Baylor and did a, a family camp for a few days. And that's a picture from that. And that, that was our first event. Our most recent event was this spring. And we did a men's retreat. A lot of you guys were here called the Reman Conference. And we did it right in this room. So that's the most recent thing that we have done. But what happened with Sovereign Grace was we went through changes where we changed our polity. Some, some things kind of became uh, official for us in terms of how we relate together as churches, and something's changed. And so because there was changes, there was a new polity, we had walked through some challenges together, uh, it was kind of like, okay, who wants in on the new polity? Who wants to relate together in a new way? And so we went through a real challenging time in our church where we talked about that because not everyone in our church saw that the same way. Um, and so we had many family meetings. The pastors met with every small group in the church, and we, we heard, we talked about it. What should we do moving forward? Because Sovereign Grace was making it, asking everyone, say, we got a new polity. Who wants to partner and who doesn't? Um, and during that time, uh, it, it was just something of a challenge. So we we finally came to a decision that we wanted to stay in. The elders led in that decision, and we offered it to the church for, for an affirmation. And there was a strong affirmation for the church to follow that decision in, the, in our church. But not everybody agreed with that, and a number of people left our church, not just over that decision, but uh, that stirred up many things. And a number of folks left. So we all said goodbye to friends, some close friends. It was a really hard time for us as a church. So we're not sitting here going, 10 years of bliss, baby. Uh, we've had years of bliss and we've had years of pain. Uh, we've laughed and we've cried. And so we've, we've had life. And people don't always get uh, agree in the local church. People don't always agree together. And if you're new as a new Christian, I, I just need to tell you that. No matter what church you're in, there will be at some point some disagreement. I love the part of John's testimony where he just said, Hey, people have stepped on our toes and offended us. And guess what? I've offended probably most of you because I was a leader here, and I'm sure I offended you. I, I loved what he said because that's just reality. And so the church has to learn how do we love to each other and how do we walk together when we have differences. And so I think that's what we learned during that season about partnership. And so we, we uh, stayed uh, with a Sovereign Grace, and we've renewed our partnership in kind of a new regionalization, and that's shown up in a number of ways. Bob Hughes was ordained this year, and we had representatives from our region come in and participate in that. He participated with the pastors in our region in going through oral exams and written exams and uh, the whole process, which is wonderful. We've had, we have a regional leader that cares for our leaders and helps us named uh, Billy Rays. He's been in a number of times. We've done events together. We'll probably do another event together next summer, it's looking like. So at any rate, uh, it's been a wonderful time. We do conferences together, uh, and there's been kind of fresh breath and new life 
um, in our association of churches. We have a pastor's college we've sent five different men to to be trained for pastoral ministry, and two of them are serving in other uh, related churches with us, sister churches right now, uh, three other churches, actually, now that I think about it. So at any rate, uh, that was a time of renewed calling that was, uh, was, uh, was, I think, at the end, by the whole process, the Lord really worked for, through it, but it wasn't the smoothest all the way, but we're thankful for kind of being on the other side of that as a solidified church uh, and a unified people. There's a unity now that is a gift of God. Unity is a gift. And number 10, the last one, was that we, God inaugurated our future in Frisco Square. And this is just May 2015. It's the most recent one. And God, uh, I think the value there is reaching our city. Uh, God has provided for us. He's giving us a larger uh, platform to share the gospel. Um, He's called us to a place to... Uh, share him with a city. We have indescribable opportunities. I'm, I am interacting with numbers of, um, just starting this month, I've been very proactive and starting to interact with some leaders in our city and uh, just receiving a wide open door to any way that we want to serve. There are open doors for us to serve in the city. And I think a lot of it is just because, uh, well, that we know about you. You're, we know what's going on there. We know the building in the Frisco Square, and we see that growing up. So it's exciting to think about what is, what is ahead of us. So 10 milestones with 10 values that I think came up. Spirit-led mission, generosity, gathered worship, committed membership, conversion, mercy ministry, stewardship, that is using the tools the Lord's given us like buildings to serve him, world missions, partnership, both within our church and with a network of churches, and reaching our city is where he has brought us now. So why do I mention those various events and milestones? Well, because they remind us of God's faithfulness. They just remind us of God's faithfulness. Uh, We've done stupid things and God's been faithful. We've been faithless and God's been faithful. Um, we don't deserve mercy and grace, and God has been faithful. They remind us of the sacrificial stories of those who invested their time and their resources and their service early on so that we have what we have. How many people gave? We were going to walk into a building um, next Easter, and how many people gave and how many people served to make that possible? How many people prayed over and over asking for us to be able to uh, receive that gift? People have invested their lives Um, God is calling us, I believe, to a greater harvest, and he is calling us, um, I believe, to our earlier days to get lean and focused and involved and firing on all cylinders, all hands on deck. I think he's calling us to that again because it will take everybody and then some to be able to accomplish what the Lord's calling us to accomplish. Um, and it's good for children to know this. If you're young, thank you for, you guys did a great job, especially younger ones, second grade, third grade, you guys did a great job just being in here. But you need to know that you're growing up in a church that people have served and prayed and given their finances and reoriented their lives to prefer other people. They've They've, uh, they have given their lives to invest in building the local church for the glory of God. And so the next generation coming up needs to know what the Lord has done through us, how he has provided so that he is known as great in our midst. I love you guys. It's a joy. It's been a great 10 years. Uh, the next 10, we'll have a lot more digital pictures. Uh, and so if, if, um, 
I plan to be here in 10. I, don't, I, I plan to either be here or in heaven. Those are like the only two places I want to be 10 years from now. One of those two. I plan to be here with you, uh, God willing, and doing this. So it's been a great 10 years. Thank you for your love to our family. Thank you to the pastors for the way you men and your wives have served. Uh, and thank you to the whole church for your love and support. I'm going to pray. We're going to close with a song uh, just to remember what the Lord has done. And then, uh, then we're going to eat cake for the glory of God. How about that? So let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.